Hey, everybody. This is part two of Martin and I's conversation on the golden calf incident in Exodus 22. If you haven't heard part one and you don't have any small children around, then go listen to part one. Uh, If you have heard part one or if you have small children around, then you can go ahead and listen to this part as well. Uh, There's no explicit content warning on this part. Unlike the first part, we don't talk about any, you know, adult subjects uh because we don't need to for this question so hope you enjoy hope you learn something and thanks for joining us um the last question i have for you jason where else does the golden calf show up yeah so you pointed this out to me just before we started recording here that in 1 Kings 12, Jeroboam is paranoid. So Jeroboam is leading the northern kingdom of Israel. After Israel splits in two, he's leading the northern kingdom. And so the, the northern kingdom is called Israel still. The southern kingdom is called Judah. And he's worried that his people, if they're allowed to go worship in Jerusalem, which is the holy city where the temple is in Jerusalem, that if he lets his people go there, then they're going to be like, well, the temples in Judah, God clearly is blessing Judah. Forget our king. We don't want to follow him anymore. Uh, and so Jeroboam, out of this paranoia, decides to make two golden calves to offer to the people to worship. Now, it's not explicit in this passage especially since he's making two idols but the idols are identical and a god might have more than one idol in different locations and so it's not explicit like it is with aaron that these are meant to be idols of yahweh but it still kind of seems to be the way that it reads he uses the same terminology in both passages the word elohim is used which is technically means gods but is often used to refer to yahweh despite the fact it's a plural which is just this weird thing that hebrew does So he could be making idols to Yahweh and just being like, you don't have to go to Jerusalem. You can worship Yahweh here. You know, we aren't going to McDonald's. We have Yahweh at home, right? Like that sort of thing. Or he could be inventing new gods and saying, we're going to worship some gods from another pantheon. It's just not explicit. But either way, the issue is still idolatry and or improper worship of Yahweh. And in Exodus 32, that's the same sin. You're still worshiping Yahweh, but you're worshiping him improperly. You're worshiping him in ways he told you not to. And that's just as bad as idol worship. You know, it's it's condemned in both cases. It is. Uh, there's a couple of things that I wanted to note on that. So we, for the most part, assume that the golden calf is an idol. And part of it is because of what Jeroboam does. He creates two golden calf idols, basically, so that you could worship there instead of in Jerusalem. Uh, But there's actually three ideas about what the golden calf was. And all of them are, they're really similar, basically. Uh, But the first one is that it was a pedestal to Yahweh. So it wasn't actually built to represent him. It wasn't really even built to worship at. There's not an actual, the idea of an idol is there's a God behind this. Um, But basically this, this theory, which is not very well supported, but it's a theory. They built this basically as a reminder. Yahweh isn't supposed to be at this idol, basically. Uh, The second one is that it was an 
emblem for Yahweh. So it was supposed to be like a symbol of something he had done, right? Which makes sense in the rest of the Old Testament. You see a few different things happening after Yahweh has done something great. Uh, my favorite example is in, I think, Sam for Samuel, maybe. After the Israelites win a battle, they create an altar. They get rocks uh, and they basically pile them up and say, God has helped us this far and we will continue in his favor. Something like that. Uh, I actually had my youth group kids do something like that at the end of the year last year. We all picked out rocks and we wrote names on them and I let them paint them and we keep them up in the youth room right now so that they can see God has helped us this far. And that's that's kind of that second one. Uh, is that maybe it's just like a sign that Yahweh exists or something that he's done. Uh, the third one is what we've talked about is that it was an idol for Yahweh, which was specifically condemned by him. And what I think is really interesting is while I was reading this week in the dictionary of the Old Testament Pentateuch, they had like five sections over what the golden calf is and where it shows up and everything. One of the things that they talked about was the idea of what an idol does. And so they said, and I'm just going to quote this. It says, by the making and vivifying of an image, the God in question would be brought near and worshipers would take care of him or her. In effect, this meant that the God came under human control. Against this background, it is understandable that Yahweh, the sovereign creator, forbade the making of images of himself. Because basically what's happening is what people would do is they would create an idol for a God so that they could almost make it look like it's human, almost uh, treat it like it's a living being. And so they would create this idol so that they could take care of it, they could protect it, they could do all of this, so that when push came to shove, that God was on their side. You can see that in why they sacrificed to those gods. You can see that in just the way that they talk about them. One of my favorite favorite things, when I was in middle school, I read all the Percy Jackson books, and they would often, Jason's laughing at me because it's not a great representation of Greek mythology at all, uh, but it does keep some things semi-accurate. And I think one of them was they would offer sacrifices to most of the time, their parents, because they were demigods, but to the gods when they would eat, so that that god would be in favor of them later. Mm -hmm. It's it's that same idea. And the god was reliant on that to an extent. Mm -hmm. and, and that's a really common conception in these, these pagan theologies, is that you can't necessarily kill a god by ignoring it, which is something that comes up in Percy Jackson, which is weird but he's making up social commentary in that section anyways uh roared in is but uh a commentary about our about environmentalism specifically but anyway but the idea that like a god is somehow reliant on humans for pleasure that their worship and their sacrifices provide like food and clothing and shelter to the gods that they enjoy that's like a very ancient near eastern thing that these people probably thought the Israelites would have thought. So if Yahweh gives them an idol to worship at, an, an idol of Yahweh, they're going to think that Yahweh wants something from them. And Yahweh doesn't need anything from you. He may desire your worship and relationship, but he doesn't need anything from you. 
And that's something that the Israelites have to learn the hard way. That's one of the things that I think is really interesting. I'm going to jump out of golden calf commentary right now for just a second so that we can see a bigger picture, right? Because when you look at how the golden calf is worshipped, how other gods were worshipped at the time, they needed people. They had people worship them. So that was their interaction, right? That was their part in what they believed. We have a very different role as Christians. Uh, we are not called to just worship by doing A, B, and C. Romans chapter 12, when it starts out, tells us that we worship God by doing what he's asked us. We transform ourselves to align with him, and that's our act of worship. But there's more to that. We have a real role in what we believe, and it's not just to sing songs on Sunday and take your communion and listen to a sermon. It's to go and make disciples. It's to build relationships with people, to help them to see what God has done for all of us, right? Our, our goal, our objective, our purpose in interacting with God, our role in what he has done is not that we just accept it and move on. It's that we're sharing that with the people that we care about, the people around us. And it's one of those, it's kind of contrasting between that, right? Yahweh never intended to be a God that just got sacrifices and sat back happy like that. He, he always intended to be with his people. He, right after this, the tabernacle is built if it's not already, right? And the tabernacle was the place of Yahweh's dwelling. It was intended that he would be with his people, that he would help push them, help move them to where they needed to be, that he would essentially be worshipped by the entire world. And Israel's goal was to be the example for the world around them. Our goal as Christians is to share that, which I think is just awesome, first of all. We have this interesting new way of worshiping and it's not sacrifices and music and fertility it's evangelism yeah and not just evangelism but an entire transfer transformation of the way that you live your life uh the passage in romans 12 that martin just referred to is a pretty famous one uh, Paul, writing to the Roman church, says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, to offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. So we don't sacrifice lambs and doves and stuff like that anymore. What do we do instead? We offer ourselves, our entire beings, our entire lives. We transform the way that we speak, the way that we act, the way that we spend our money, the way that we think about politics the kinds of cars that we drive and houses that we live in, we sacrifice all of that to be holy and pleasing to God. Paul says, this is your true and proper worship. And this isn't even a new idea because even under the system of sacrifices that Yahweh institutes, there's still a deeper law that if you do not maintain mercy and justice, 
then God doesn't care. And we see this. He doesn't care about you checking the boxes of sacrifice and whatever. Like you have to start with the more the morality that Yahweh gives his people. And we see it in many of the prophets. One of my favorite places to find it is in uh, Amos chapter five, where in verse 21, a few verses onwards, Yahweh says, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. These are the festivals Yahweh told them they had to do, like Passover. And he says, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me, you know, rather than being a, an incense pleasing to God. They're a stench to him. Uh, verse 22, even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring me choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But, and this is his alternative, right? Because he's saying, I'm not taking your sacrifices. I'm not taking your worship. I'm not taking any of that. But let justice roll on like a river and righteousness like a never failing stream. So you want God to accept your worship. Great. Have mercy and justice and righteousness in your life. Because if you don't have those, God's not taking your worship. Which I think is a good place to hop on a little bit of a soapbox. Martin, what do you think? If you want to hop on the soapbox, you can. I'm going to hop on a soapbox. So here's your take-home lessons. Because you're hearing us talk about a lot of academic stuff. About like, what was the golden calf? And what are they doing wrong? And this is actually probably an idol to Yahweh. And why does it matter? And whatever. So here should be your takeaways, like modern Christian, here are your takeaways. First one, the ancient Israelites and probably, well, the ancient, ancient Israelites in the wilderness and also Israel uh, after the northern southern kingdom split are probably both still worshiping Yahweh. Yet Yahweh does not regard their worship well, and especially in, in the Exodus, in Exodus chapter 32 and 33, he punishes them for worshiping him incorrectly. So that's your first takeaway. You can be worshiping Yahweh, but not doing it the way that he wants you to. And he may not accept your worship and you may even be punished for it because you have received explicit instruction in scripture on how you are to worship God and not to worship God. And if you ignore God's instructions, you have violated your covenant with him. So that's your first takeaway. Just because, oh, well, I believe in God and I love him. That is not enough. God has given you instructions. You are to follow them. The second thing, which we see in Amos and Romans, etc., is that we do not worship God by checking boxes either, right? He's not a fertility God. You can't do certain rituals and make him happy and then walk away. You can't just show up on Sunday and then show up to your small group and then read your Bible three times a week and expect God to be happy. He wants justice. He wants righteousness and he will not accept your sacrifices you know that tithe that you give every week he's not going to accept that your church might accept it but yahweh is not going to honor that if you are not just and righteous the songs that you sing to him on your way to work while you're listening to caleb or whatever he's not going to accept that worship if your life has not been transformed now, this is not a you have to clean up your life before you come to church thing because we see a lot of messed up people come to Jesus and that's wonderful. But if you've been a committed Christian for years and your life has in no way changed, you are not more gentle, you're not more kind, you're not more zealous for those who are oppressed, you're only concerned with you, yourself, your stuff, I can guarantee you God's not going to accept your worship. And like that is a hard teaching 
but it is explicit in scripture. So you want your takeaways, worship God the way he wants to be worshiped and don't reduce your worship to just a checklist. Look for life transformation and obedience to the laws of God. You do that, you're probably going to be okay. You ignore that, then God's going to reject you. Or the way that he puts it in one of the letters to the churches in Revelation is he will vomit you out of his mouth. So there's my soapbox. There are your takeaways from this lesson. Well, on that note, I want to thank you guys again for listening to us. Um, we really appreciate just having people that are listening to what we say. Uh, it's really encouraging to us. Uh, and if you really enjoy listening to us, give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. And on that note, if you guys have questions, most of you will probably know us. Uh, if you don't, you can email us at realpockettheology or at gmail.com. Right, Jason? Give me a yep. Or you can find us on Facebook because we have a Facebook page now. We do. Uh, and send us a message. Let us know, you know what you want to talk about or if you have any questions. On that note, we thank you guys. Have a great one.